Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is the founder of Amplify X, Adam Cowherd. First of all, the Stairway to Heaven lawsuit is back in the news yet one more time. Every time we think this is solved, it comes back again. So to refresh your memory, in 2014, the estate of Randy Wolf, known as Randy California when he was with the band Spirit, sued Led Zeppelin for plagiarism, saying that Randy Wolf's song Taurus was the basis for Stairway to Heaven. And if you listen, the intro is somewhat similar, but the fact of the matter is it's a very generic intro and a very generic chord pattern. Now, Spirit, back in the day, actually did open for Led Zeppelin. So they did a tour together, and it was alleged that every night the guys from Led Zeppelin heard Spirit play Taurus, and that was the basis for the lawsuit. Now, the fact of the matter is, Randy Wolf, who's deceased, when he was alive, he never thought there was a problem and never initiated a lawsuit. It was only his estate after he passed. So in 2016, the court actually ruled in favor of Led Zeppelin. While not to be deterred, the estate filed an appeal and went to the Ninth Circuit Appeals Court. And lo and behold, at first, the appeals court agreed and ordered a retrial. But then there was the unusual decision to actually have a review with a three-judge panel, and they upheld the initial court ruling. So in other words, we had two courts now that said no plagiarism. Well, lo and behold, the estate is yet coming back one more time, and they're taking it all the way to the Supreme Court. They're basically saying that the Court of Appeals made not one but two big mistakes. The mistake being, first of all, in their ruling, and the second one was having three judges come back and basically redo the trial. Now, the whole thing here is the Supreme Court doesn't have to hear this. Just because you file to get your case in front of the Supremes, it doesn't necessarily mean that much until they actually take it on. So we won't know for sure for a while if this is actually going to proceed or not. But the fact of the matter is, boy, you get some attorneys that just decide they're going to follow up and follow up and follow up. And of course, Led Zeppelin has big pockets, especially Stairway to Heaven. So looking at a potential big payday, I guess that keeps the case going. But Hopefully, this whole thing will die pretty soon. And again, if you go back and you listen to Taurus and Stairway to Heaven, you can hear a little bit of a similarity in the intro, but that's about it. So I think everybody would agree that this is a lawsuit that probably should never have been filed to begin with, and yet it's going to the Supreme Court. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyowinnercircle.com. You can also sign up for my free vocal mixing techniques mini course at bobbyosinskicourses.com, and you can download free ebooks and PDFs on mixing, production, mastering, and social media at bobbyosinski.com forward slash free hyphen resources. <laughs> Now, speaking of in the news again, Guitar Center, one more time is in the news. This time, Rickenbacker Guitars has cut them off. 
They issued a statement saying they're no longer accepting orders from Guitar Center and Musician's Friend. Musician's Friend is the online division of Guitar Center. Rickenbacker went yet another step and recommended that you actually go to another dealer. Well, the reason for this is Guitar Center's bond credit rating was diminished from stable to negative. The company is $1.2 billion in debt. That's billion with a B, $1.2 billion in debt, and it only has about $3 million on its balance sheet. What's more, the rating agency Moody's now also calls these distressed bonds. The fact of the matter is, during COVID, a lot of private equity investors have defaulted on various loans, bonds, etc. And Aries Management, that owns Guitar Center, they're pretty much underwater with this investment. Now, even though there was a big sales surge at the Hollywood flagship of Guitar Center during COVID, that just basically took up everything that was in stock. Now, the big problem for every retailer is the supply chain. It's one thing to be able to sell something. It's another thing to be able to deliver it. And that's where we're beginning to see problems in the supply chain with factories all over Asia, China, Vietnam, Indonesia, shut down for COVID. Now they're getting back on their feet, but there's still a lag, which means that there's product that just isn't available. So what is this going to mean for Guitar Center in the future? Well, it doesn't look good, but Guitar Center has nine lives. And every time you think it's going down, in fact, they managed to pull a financial rabbit out of their hat. Keep going. So chances are it's going to happen again. I think one of the reasons why is maybe it's too big to fail, owing $1.2 billion. But we'll see as we come into the big sales season, meaning the holiday season, we'll see how Guitar Center ends up when it comes January. My guest this week is Adam Cowherd, the founder of Amplify X, a company that bridges the financial gap between musicians and fans by letting supporters invest in artists just like startups. When his work with Ernst & Young in the financial sector landed Adam in Los Angeles, it wasn't long before he started seeing gaps in the music industry landscape. Chief among them was the need for a new approach to royalties, one that could keep up with the rapid pace of innovation in the music business as a whole, and then let the public connect with the artists that they so dearly love through direct investments. The AmplifyX model allows upcoming and established artists to retain control of their intellectual property and career decisions while collecting up to 90% of royalties, as opposed to the current industry standard that's often 20% or less. During the interview, we talked about how the company takes advantage of new investment rules, the financial literacy of Gen Z, how music is similar to real estate, and much more. I spoke with Adam via Zoom from his home in Santa Monica. Tell me about Amplify X. So Amplify X is a platform that allows everyday people to invest in musicians for a piece of their future royalty income. And how we structure this is through a revenue share agreement. So it's not technically equity, but it's just cash right off the top. And it gives people access to an uncorrelated asset class that is not tied to the traditional markets. And in turn, it creates a marketplace where musicians can raise capital very similar to startups in a venture financing type of model. 
this concept has been around for a long time. And I can remember being in meetings over the last 10 years. I can't tell you how many where the concept was discussed. And there was always a problem with the SEC. How do you get around that? So thank you to President Obama in 2016. He passed something called the Jobs Act, which had something around regulation crowdfunding, which allows everyday people over the age of 18 the ability to invest into privately held companies. So we've actually had our technology and team assembled and ready since December. We've actually been going through the FINRA and SEC process to be able to get a funding portal license, of which at the time, there's only 53 of these in the entire world. So hopefully we're going to be 54 on August 19th is our decision date. How about your background? How'd you get into this? So I'm born and raised just outside Detroit, Michigan, and always had a passion and interest for building things. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be an inventor. This led me to University of Michigan, where I studied engineering physics in college and thought about a PhD. But after working in an astrophysics lab, decided I wanted to move more into business because you can create much bigger macroeconomic impact that way. So I interned at Goldman Sachs my junior year, and then moved to New York City after graduation to work in consulting at Ernst & Young. And while I was there, it gave me a really deep breath of knowledge around how the biggest companies in the world work. And after a few years of doing digital transformations for the biggest banks, credit card companies, and asset managers in New York, I had the opportunity to move out to Los Angeles to help Ernst & Young build out their innovation services capability. So launching corporate accelerators, innovation labs, and next generation products and services. And after about a year and a half of being in LA and doing that, I decided to leave to start Amplify because I really just saw us in the midst of this major generational change that is just fueled by connectivity and access, where we're seeing these meaningful changes in shifts in human behavior that are being accelerated through COVID and our current like economic climate, where these younger generations, millennials, Gen Z, are more financially literate than ever before. And due to smartphones, it's just as easy to buy a stock as it is to listen to music. And my uncle, a funny story, is a principal in Michigan. And he actually had to block Robinhood at his high school because so many kids are on that app investing during the school day. Wow. Who would have thought? I know. It's kind of... It's pretty cool because so then music is something that especially the youth are extremely passionate about and they really identify with more than anything else. So when Obama passed the Jobs Act and people are now allowed to invest into private companies, you can structure deals under CF, how we're doing where people can actually invest into artists. And instead of making them shareholders and actually having that be like voting, non-voting, All the equity conversations get a bit confusing, frankly. We decided to put these on royalty share notes, which sit similar to debt, but instead of having a fixed percentage, you just share in a piece of the revenues for whatever defined royalty streams. And in our MVP, we're going to be working exclusively with digital rights because it's since it's digitally transacted, it's very simple to collect, distribute, and just check, essentially. And we've also seen this growing wave of independent musicians that 
just need an alternative because for example, Citigroup did a study where only 12% of music industry revenues actually went to the artists and their teams, which I think that model almost needs to be flipped on its head. And that's really what we're doing in Amplify. We're going to allow musicians to sell a piece of their future streaming royalties and digital music sales for capital today. Do you see this as an alternative to a record label for artists? So I think it's going to be an alternative, but I could see record labels becoming some of our partners. Because I know there's a lot of labels now that unless they they have an artist has really meaningful traction, it's more difficult. Like I think that artist development is not the same that it used to be. And we could be essentially an artist development partner, I think, to see what is going to help work and what's going to lead to success in the market. Well, I can tell you for sure that it's not the same as it used to be, having lived through the days when you got tour support, when uh, you had marketing teams working for you. It was completely different. Where, you know, again, no one was looking for instant success. If you were signed to a record label, they would look three or four releases down the road. And many of the so-called musical legends that we have today started that way. I mean, if, if they would have started today, they wouldn't have made it at all because after one release, they would be gone. So I can see how this could be very helpful for an artist because, again, as you say, you have to get your own traction. The only way you get that many times is having some money. Exactly. So what protects the investor from the artist getting a bunch of money and then just deciding, then slacking off? Mm -hmm. So that's a great question and something that we had a lot of thought and conversations about. And one of the reasons that one of our core partners is Ronald Sittler, who's been both an entertainment attorney in addition to working with lots of the biggest hedge funds in the world for the last 30 years. And he helped us craft some documents that really include investor protections. In addition, when you're performing a CF offering, you need a use of proceeds and funds. And then on a yearly basis, that is tracked by FINRA and the SEC. In addition, we made sure that we're only going to work with artists who do have existing management teams around them. Because like you said, we need those different controls in place. In addition, it, since it is a direct relationship between the artist, investor, the artist and their investors, and we're just that intermediary platform, the investors could get together and there is a lien on the IP. It's not any sort of ownership, but it is just a lien on a copyright. Which in the case of an artist not paying back or something like that, that could be leveraged. Is there a minimum amount an investor has to put up? So that is actually up to the artist. I anticipate it's going to be about 25 or 50 for each investor because we want to make it accessible to many different people. But I do see a lot of sophisticated investors putting in much larger numbers as well as a way to diversify their portfolio and to create portfolios of musical artists. The music business has always been filled with secret investors, doctors, dentists, real estate people who had extra money and loved an artist and would throw it their way. And many times they would get an executive producer credit out of it as a result. So I don't see how that's changed. I mean, maybe in the COVID world where there's a little less 
liquid cash floating around or liquid assets floating around, but I don't see how the desire has changed any more than what it used to be. Don't you think? I think that those are going to be some of our biggest users because music actually works very similar to real estate in a lot of ways where you have that those recurring payments on a given fixed period of time, whether it real estate, it's usually monthly rent. In music, it varies on your distributor, but it's those consistent cash flows. And then sometimes if you own the underlying assets, you have that long-term capital appreciation as well, where you have people like Merck at Hypnosis buying up catalogs at 12 to 20x, 12-month trailing revenues. Yeah, who would have thought? That's pretty outrageous, actually. I think he actually raised another half a billion dollars this last week. I have a friend who is retired now, but he used to be very highly placed, a former chairman of one of the major record labels, who is constantly in those type of discussions as a consultant because he's very well versed in publishing. So just valuing it and uh, valuing it is a big deal, actually. All the publishers I know would always value it at less than what it's going for now. Mm-hmm. But as we saw, Goldman Sachs released that report, Music in the Air, where we've seen a 40% CAGR in music royalty growth, mainly driven from streaming over the last four years. And as a result, if this type of growth continues and they anticipate there being 1.15 billion paid street music streaming services users by 2030, if that continues, that pot of money just gets so much bigger. And as a result, these valuations aren't so crazy. You know, it's funny. I had discussions with people that I know very well in the music industry, especially on the publishing side. Before streaming sort of caught fire, they were pessimistic on the music business in general and would would say, I can't see how streaming is ever going to recover the revenue that we had before. And I would keep on saying, yeah, but you know, you're, you're looking at an old model, first of all. And the second thing is you don't realize the scale that's possible here that hasn't even been touched. So when the Goldman report came out and talked about the growth, uh, they've revised it, I think, re- recently. i just seen. But, but that said, they looked at what the growth was supposed to be in 2030. That really turned a lot of heads where people, uh, wow, okay, if Goldman says that, maybe it's possible. And we've seen, as you say, in the last four years, it certainly has been. Totally. I, it's really a great market to be in. And I think it's, because we saw the music industry, was it 2000 that it peaked in prior? Yeah. And now I think we're about to blast past that over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's... You know, it's funny, you have the people that had been in it before that were used to sales. They're the ones that are complaining about streaming and how they're not making enough. But the artists that are doing very well in streaming, you never hear them complaining because they're (laughs) they're doing fantastic, actually. Absolutely. We've seen artists like everyone from Juice World to Billie Eilish getting billions of of streams on a single platform, which is resulting in tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Just from streaming, not it, including merch, touring, brand partnerships, anything. Yeah. You can get that game. If you can actually find a way to be successful on streaming platforms, you are going to find a way to make money and be successful in the music industry. And what is your opinion on TikTok? That's something that I think I would love to hear your perspective on. I think it's a trend 
that's going to flame out. Okay. And it's going to flame out shortly. I mean, the big problem is artists can't make a lot of money from it. Mm-hmm. And what it comes down to, the record labels might because they do the deals, but what eventually comes down to an artist. So I think you'll start to see deals come up where the artists will say, no, unless things change with TikTok, we, you know, we're not interested. I could definitely see something like that. In addition, there's been all this regulation and talks of people banning TikTok in America, like it was banned in India. Microsoft actually announced, like there's been some leaked documents that Microsoft's actually looking at purchasing a majority stake in TikTok right now. And TikTok just did put around, I think it was $200 million aside for creators. So I think we could actually move towards an individual creator model similar to how joe rogan and spotify happened for things like exclusivity and it's going to be interesting regardless what happens to see that being said it's not based on the music as much as a, as it's based on the meme so it's hard to predict for an artist and it's hard to market for an artist for the most part you need a different mindset for sure you can't use traditional marketing even digital marketing to go there right I think it's going to be actually creating really strong syndicates and relationships with a lot of these influencers on the platform. Because if you have somebody like Charlie or Addison Ray do a dance to your song, you're instantly getting thousands of more videos created. And as a result, that's going to translate to some stream. So I almost see TikTok more as a marketing platform than as an actual monetization platform. It's certainly worked for a number of artists already where we've seen the influence, well, Lil Nas X was the first one, and look what happened there, but there's been others since, many others since, that came from TikTok, or at least started there. Completely agree. You haven't launched yet. When do you expect to launch? So right now, knock on wood, pending FINRA, our launch for our first two to four artists on a platform would be on August 26th. And then from there, the whole secret is getting the artists because you can't get investors until you have the artists. So how are you marketing to them? And is there a certain class of artists? You just delineated that somewhat by saying, well, they have to have management, strong management to begin with. But that being said, how are you marketing to them? And is there a special demo that you're looking at? So I would say it's two primary demographics. And we also, so I don't come from the music industry. I've been a music passionate about it for my entire life, played in many different bands and things like that. But we actually brought on a vice president of business development, Kelly Richards, who helped lead the focus of music at Apple. And then since then has been a part of many different music startups. So she's been helping us navigate a lot of that in addition to our entertainment attorney, Ronald Sippler. But in terms of what the artist demographics look like, I see it in two buckets. You have the emerging artists who have over 100,000 fans or monthly active listeners on Spotify and then highly engaged social followings where you're going to get a lot of the super fans who are going to invest, but then you also are going to get the investors who are looking for that mega upside. And then you're going to also have the more established catalog artists who are just looking for some sort of a liquidity event. The same type of artists that the hedge funds are going after who have those consistent year-over-year royalties that are going to give you a nice 10 to 15% IRR on your capital. Okay, so you get a desired number of artists to start with. Mm -hmm. 
and at that point then it's then attracting the investor the artists can do some of that marketing for you but they're getting fans they're getting the the smaller investors what are you doing to get the institutional investors from my days in working in finance and consulting i have a pretty large network of people who are interested in these alternative asset spaces in addition to finding thought leaders in a space and working on different types of partnership and ambassador deals where we've got something going on on college campuses that's going to kick off next month as well. So it's kind of just taking a multi-tiered approach to look for people who are very interested in finance and alternative assets. A lot of the same people who were really interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency early on, a lot of those major syndicates, I think, are going to be large investors on our platform. And just really kind of casting a wide net initially and seeing who become the most engaged groups and then doubling down on those. Now, your website hasn't launched yet, but I expect it will be like similar platforms where there's the marketing approach, part of its marketing, part of it's for users. The user's getting a dashboard to actually see what the status is. Is that the case? Yes, that's correct. So I think we tried to base a lot of our inspiration of players like Robinhood and Coinbase, who also sell different types of securities, but in a very simple, easy to understand format. And something else that we're really focused on is giving investors as much data at their fingertips as possible. So everything from the streaming data, social media, listening data, and understanding, so they understand what these people are like, and they can almost start to use technical investment techniques to analyze deals, even if it's not an artist that they might listen to. Is this pre-investment or post-investment? So this is pre-investment. So when an artist goes live on our site, you're going to have a few different documents. You're going to have Form C, which is mandated by SEC and FINRA, which talks about the use of funds, the business model, like what just total investment prospectus. Then we're also going to have data from people like Chartmetric that aggregates from a lot of different services across streaming, social, and combine it all into one easy to digest dashboard. So it's going to be dashboards similar to that, like to that, because we're building our own proprietary dashboards into it. Is publishing involved in this? So publishing will be involved later. I think stage one, it's going to be more so on a copyright on a master's. Publishing gets a lot more involved. It does. Publishing is complex, and that's why I do want to wait on publishing a little bit until we can bring on experts in that field. Yeah, and it's easier with streaming because you can get the hard data. If Mm -hmm. you're going for any kind of traditional media, that's a whole lot more difficult. Radio, for instance, although radio's trending downward these days, but still can be, you know, important. Getting the data for that is, or accurate data. Because the nice thing about Spotify is you can plug into their public APIs and you can pull that data in real time. So you kind of really know what's taking place and going on. And then you can, it changes slightly depending on the payouts of how many people are listening, the total amount of time, et cetera. But you can get ballpark exactly where you're going to be in real time. How has COVID changed your business plan or has it? Most people think of COVID as this, I, COVID is first and foremost, like a terrible event that took place. But from a business perspective, 
it took us from being a good investment to really a great investment because right now, musicians need capital more than ever. And they need new business models and alternative financing methods like this. In addition, investors are looking for new places to put their capital. So it's kind of a truly symbiotic relationship that's beneficial for both parties. You know, there's winners and losers in this. And it's nice if you're on the winning side, that's for sure. Completely. We're just trying to make some really meaningful change in the industry and just bring a lot of equitability in addition to transparency to it. You mentioned before about working with record labels or potentially working at record labels. Is that in motion or is that just something for the future? So that's something in the future. There are a few high-level conversations that we're having with a couple of the majors and then some large independent labels, but that's probably quite a few months out still. You also mentioned before that you had a number of artists. I assume it sounded like you already had them lined up and ready to go. So we do have a pipeline of about 50 qualified artists who have applied through our website already. And it's really going to come down to selecting the first two to four that we believe are going to be the best investment opportunity for users on our platform. So there's a matter of qualifying then. Mm -hmm. And what would be the bar for that to happen? The minimum bars that I like to put out there are at least... 100,000 monthly active listeners on Spotify, 12 months of non-zero revenue, just to show that it's there's some sort of consistency to it, in addition to showing just growth month over month and a true business case and understanding of the market, where we do have internal processes that we go through and request everything from royalty statements to what the business plan looks like, use of funds, and we want to make sure that the artist is set up to be as successful as possible, not only for their own sake, but then also for their investor's sake. Use of funds. I mean, we talked about that before. What do you expect that to be? So for emerging artists who are in their growth phase, I think it's going to be a combination of promotion, new content creation, and asset development. In addition to probably some, of course, for living expenses, GNA type expenses. But I do see the bulk going to promotion and new content creation. Very cool. Last question, Adam. What's the best piece of business advice that maybe you learned along the way or maybe somebody imparted to you? Everything is going to take twice as long as you think it's going to take, I would say. And that's been the case? You found it to be true? I found it to be true with working in highly regulated markets, in addition to building technology and contract negotiations. So it's been, it's been a really great experience, but I've learned how to manage expectations a lot better, I would say, during this entire process. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard enough to do it without the regulation, but when you throw the regulation on top, I, I can't even imagine what that's like. It's a blessing and a curse because I think it does really help protect the individual consumers in addition to the artists, but it definitely is a lot at times. But I think that the U.S. is one of the best places to do business in the world. So really thankful that we have a government who really cares about the individuals and protects them with these different types of regulatory authorities. You can find out more about Adam and Amplify X at AmplifyX.com. It's Amplify with an X, all one word, AmplifyX.com.
Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyowinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyowinnercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.